Welcome to You Hate Movies, the podcast in which casual moviegoers, film lovers, and cinephiles argue about movies. Movie lovers tend to love Quentin Tarantino movies, but do these movie lovers love this Quentin Tarantino movie? It's time to debrief Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Along the way, you'll get spoilers for Hateful Eight, Inglorious Bastards, Django Unchained, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's been four years since the last Quentin Tarantino movie. I don't know if you guys are counting the Hateful it Eight. It has not been wow. four years four? since Hateful Eight. Sure? Seriously? That's right. Seriously, 2015. Four years since Hateful Eight? That's right. That's what I just said. Dang it. I need someone else to... That is shocking to witness? me. Witness? Absolutely no, shocking. Someone else look that up and confirm it for me. Matt, get get IMDb open. Get off your Siri, airplane mode. <laughs> Don't talk to Siri Don't on ask our podcast. Yes. 2015. Siri Siri confirms it. Oh. But more importantly, it's why been... Why is it so long ago? That's so crazy. You why you're asking why time passes? I don't how does, you don't know yes, how time man. works? <laughs> yes, man. I'm asking you why time. <laughs> <laughs> it's been four years since Hateful Eight, but it's been three years since You Hate Movies episode 42, Best of Quentin Tarantino, in which Josh Porter, Tyler Hans, Patrick Porter, Liam Gonison, and Matthew Hughes gave their top ten... Or not top ten, sorry. That there were nine films at the time. And those Ranking. men are in this room now. There's the exact same cast. Wow. Dun, dun, dun. But we're all four years older? Four Did years we? older. I don't remember yeah. being that young. Three that years older from that episode. Really Halcyon eight, days. Four years older. Oh, that that really general. hits hard, man, being four years older. <laughs> yeah. I was in my 20s back then. <laughs> Dang, that's a big deal. Dang it. I was only 32, sweet, fresh-faced baby boy. But wait a minute, now I'm checking the episode 41 is Hateful Eight versus Django Unchained. And it was featuring, according to youhatemovies.com, Liam Gonison, Matt Hughes, Josh Porter, Patrick Porter, and Tyler Hands. Yeah, that's because we recorded them on the same night. You still lived in the same don't building as me all hey that man, time don't ago. give away our secrets. Oh, right? sorry. <gasps> Peek behind the curtain, everyone. The Apparently. wizard's just a man. Apparently, I don't mean to... Uh, well, no, I guess I do mean to recommend back catalog episodes. Episodes 41 and 42 deal with Quentin Tarantino and his filmography. Solid episodes. And we I'm love seeing, Tarantino. I'm seeing <laughs> now on episode 41 on the website that there is a theory. It says at the bottom, read a theory from Tyler Hands and what he believes the Hateful Eight even means. And then I did there's a box it. that says the meaning of the Hateful Eight. So I there's a blog, too. Three episodes mm -hmm. in a blog. I wrote a blog post about it, yeah. Also, I, now I need to... It, that was three years ago. To shame myself, I still haven't seen Jackie Brown, even though I decided I would no when we recorded that. No, hey, bro. Hey, hey. Did you see it? I've seen it. Hey. I ranked it on my list. Yeah, boy. I like movies. These guys hate movies. Ooh. I have, apparently, I hate Jackie Thank Brown. You, hey, uh, Crystal Piss was most upset. <laughs> That's right. About the things. missing, uh, Jackie Brown missing from people's list. He cited it as one of his great complaints about. I like Jackie Brown. It's better than Kill Bill. <coughs> Interesting. I can't. I can't weigh in because I haven't seen it yet. Mm. So anyway, a lot of time has passed. It's been four years, man. Ooh. It's about to do. <laughs> I guess I know what I'm doing next weekend. Thank you. Uh, something else. Siri, no, where can I watch it. Jackie Brown for free? It was on Netflix for years. Oh, was it? <laughs> <Josh>. <laughs> <laughs> For God's sake. I'm not really talking to Siri. That was just a callback. It's going to be his recurring gag now. Nope, that one time. That was it. Twice? Was 
No, the, it's only a gag if you're repeating it. Right. First time it was legitimate. The second time yeah. was a gag. Okay. No, a gag can be singular. A running gag is mm. when it gets repeated. Okay. Well, times. I was being accused of a running gag. There's this. Uh, I called it a bit, actually. This um, great Muppet Show joke stop. where this. They got this puppet that's running really fast, like a bird with wheels for legs, you know, like in cartoons when yeah, something yeah. runs fast. And it, in the middle of its musical number, gets going so fast that it runs off the stage, <laughs> and you know someone has to run out and be like, "Oh, sorry," you know how it works. Mm. And then later on, through l- acts as the show progresses, <coughs> the same thing keeps barreling through the stage and knocking things over. It can't be stopped. Yeah. And yeah, and then the you know, Walt Statler and Waldorf are like, "Oh no, it's a running gag." <laughs> That's funny. Just literally. Yeah. That's clever. I got a, a very subtle chuckle <laughs> out of time. <laughs> That's some gentle comedy. It's still on Netflix. Sometimes the most gentle chuckles are the most meaningful. The most heartfelt. Yeah. You really feel it. Right. So what are we doing here tonight? Well, it may have been five years and four years. Four years and three years since the last Quentin Tarantino episodes. But we've been talking about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood for a while. It's shown up in a lot of like, oh, we're excited about this movie and and the moves. It's come up Mm -hmm. quite a bit in the moves. I don't know why, but in one of the episodes, I seem to recall it's a thumbnail. There's an image... Uh, for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It must have been... The news? The moose at some point or another. Big hype. Or Big hype coming out of the news. It might have been the blockbuster or the summer... UA uh, Movies yeah, has so many episodes. But now... Oh, I see it. Episode 136. Save or Kill 2019 movies. Uh, oh, that oh, was yeah, a good sure. episode. Tyler yeah, did made a solid... good episode. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Dang. y'all should listen to all our episodes, Killing guys. movies you haven't even seen. Mm-hmm. What's funny is that the still that he selected to represent Once Upon a time in hollywood is actually a still from a movie within the movie movie within a movie oh that's like a photo from a from a movie in a movie yeah so anyway Hmm. here's the same cast from best of quentin tarantino and hateful eight versus django unchained be sure you introduce us though so liam can do his bit everyone has (laughs) which is itself a reference to tarantino uh everyone here is a big tarantino fan right yep literally Big ups to Tarantino. Usually when people like movies, they like Quentin Tarantino to some extent. Big ups. Mm -hmm. Abby gave me a weird look for using (laughs) the expression big ups. Yeah, because it's a weird expression. No, it's good. It's not. I've only heard it from this overweight gentleman that chugs things on YouTube. (laughs) Big ups. Yeah. Badlands chugs. Yeah. Big ups ups to my subscribers. I'm going to chug this Sprite. (laughs) Yeah. I bet he gives ups to Tarantino. Probably. Yeah. If he knows what's good for him. You think we can get him on the show? Badlands Chugs. We might as well reach oh out Oh my to gosh, that would be what a day. <laughs> <laughs> kind of so nice to see like heavyweights. Abby's in the room, but she doesn't have a microphone, so we're just gonna just I'm randomly yeah, reference just her emotions. Trying to make her laugh all night. She doesn't like Badlands Chugs. <laughs> <laughs> she don't know what's good for her. I didn't say the person. She just doesn't like the YouTube channel. Oh, Patrick is here. I'm here. You like Quentin Tarantino, and you saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Those are both true statements. Liam Gonison. Bonjourno. There it is. Yeah. Yep. Hey, who can it name worked. it? There's our trivia. Who can name it? In the comments, you don't want us to name it. In the comments, somebody. Uh, big ups it. to our <laughs> subscribers. <laughs> <laughs> who can name the Tarantino reference? Uh, yeah. Tyler's obviously here. Hey everyone. And you saw the yo, movie. Yo yo. I did. Matt. Yep. Here I, I am. Uh, just recently, actually. I saw it. 
Yes, f- the Monday of this week. Today is Sunday. Matt's behind on his movie going. Matt had to go and be a good boy in England, and he can't go to the movies there because they suck. Philippa's 60th. It was Philippa Hughes' 60th big ups to birthday. Philippa. Big ups to <laughs> Philippa. She big retired. Ups Philippa. Big ups to yeah. Philippa. <laughs> why do Matt Philippa? She is a delightful lady. She is a she lovely is. lady. I love my mom. Wait, why do movies suck in England? Are they uh, like it's subtitles? Just weird. subtitles? What? It's just <laughs> the <laughs> theaters aren't good, and they're very expensive. Expensive because Ooh. of the exchange rate, and also no ups for England. No thumbs down for England. Also, their popcorn is bad, so that's a problem. Hey. What, do they what way is the popcorn? They don't. Bad. Yes, they call it popcorn, okay. but they don't pop it on site. They just get it delivered in like a giant clear trash bag, Ooh. and then <laughs> dump, <laughs> dump it into do their. They, do they know pop- how easy it is to pop? Apparently not. <laughs> and they always have yeah. both. They have like caramel corn, but they just call it salty and sweet. And you have mm. to choose a flavor, but they always get cross-contaminated. Mm. And I don't uh, want that. That's lame. Uh, wow. Well, no, I do no, want to point that. out that uh, I went while you were giving your English anecdote. Okay. I went to look at our statistics on the back end and saw that there are several thousand subscribers in the United Kingdom. Um, Good day, mate. My friend Dan is one. So shout out to hey, Dan. Big ups to Dan. Big ups to Dan. Dan Armstrong. So what a guy. You people that are hearing this, someone comment and say if you can relate to Matt. If you prefer the sweet or salty version, it actually gives trash bag popcorn. trash corn a different meaning. If you don't, yeah, yeah. right. In the states, it's when you eat the garbage, <laughs> when you get the popcorn out of the garbage and eat it, which is what Josh does at the end of most movies trash we go corn. to see. Well, Even on his way into movies, that's true. He does check on the way. I in. I check on the way in, but you. You take it if it's like good trash corn. I'm not going to eat bad trash corn. Remember when you sure. ate trash corn with menthol in it? Ugh. Yeah, it was a bag of dip. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you accidentally picked up popcorn that had dip in it? Minty yeah. trash corn. I was eating trash <laughs> corn for a while, and then it started to get soggy in the middle. And I started... <laughs> <God>. <laughs> someone had been spitting their dip into their popcorn? Yeah. You I didn't realize. Even like, despite the hint, so you're just like, nah. That's so gross. Why is this oh popcorn this is a minty? good find. Oh, man. I got... And then I, I was like, oh, that's kind of weird, but I... Sometimes people will set down, like bottom side down, their drink into the thing and sure. throw it away. So I just assume that it's like some condensation from the outside of the cup. Keep eating, and I'm like, whoa, that was like a really <laughs> minty, like <laughs> strong tasting bite of popcorn. <laughs> and I ate another few bites, and then uh, I started. <laughs> <laughs> You're a human raccoon. What are you? He's <laughs> like a goat. <laughs> 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 human so human raccoon. <laughs> we should create a new category on the website for human raccoon. Just put Josh's photo. Just yeah. <laughs> rifling through like movie things. This is so <laughs> disgusting. I can't believe you kept going. Yeah, I, I went going longer than I should have. Yes. And then <laughs> the funny thing is that I didn't actually like. <laughs> rummage to find the source I only found it because I re- reached down to get another <laughs> bite and I grabbed something kind of wet and squishy <laughs> so I was like oh that doesn't feel right <laughs> and I picked it up and in the light of the projector I'm turning back and forth this thing in my hand and Mike Jensen uh, leans over and goes yeah that's dip <laughs> oh, <God>. someone's <laughs> Nod on dip. Yeah. Oh, Chewed oh, up and spit out. Spit into their popcorn. Van Tucky residents come into the movie theater. But oh in my, my defense, gosh. I've done it many times before that and many times since. That's the only time that's happened. Wow. I appreciate sure, that you, you know, went I think back. I would throw up. One in a hundred, it's worth the odds, right? Yeah, I did a little more since then, like kind of, uh, you can't see what I'm doing as you're listening to this, but I kind of lean the bag to me a little bit and give it a shake. 
turn it oh, over yeah. and give it a shake and you see can if tell there's any like offensive. a kid got a popcorn and then ate two bites and just kind of threw it in the trash mm-hmm. well because everyone gets there with the family thing and they're like let's get a large popcorn nobody right. is ever going to eat that large popcorn everyone's getting upsold right. but they're not eating it yeah, yeah. and then they was what do they do they sat down three quarters of that tub into the trash for the human raccoons mm-hmm. among us mm-hmm the odds of dip, one in a hundred. <laughs> Good enough <laughs> and, for me. And you know, a lot of people want to do the whole, gross, disgusting, but nine times out of ten when I find a good trash corn, people are, oh my God, I can't believe you did that. Here, pass that down. <laughs> and then they want to eat the trash corn. I've never really? eaten your trash corn. No. I bet Matt's eating trash Matt's corn. Matt's eating the trash, trash corn, corn Matt. <laughs> it sounds like in England you're always eating the trash oh. corn. I mean, it's, it's garbage, but it's not from the trash. But you pay for it. That's the difference. Yeah, how many pounds Ooh. is I that pay, trash I pay, <laughs> pay, That's where it How hurts. many pounds is a popcorn? <laughs> yeah. I think it's like four pounds for like a small. <laughs> Was that like 30 bucks? That's like US dollars? five, six dollars. Oh. By pounds, you mean pounds sterling. I do. Great uh, British pound. Huh? There you go. Well, well anyway, that's our episode. Be <laughs> 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 sure to listen and subscribe. Once upon a time in England. You want to raise the stakes, uh, turn up the pressure a little bit on this episode? Uh, okay. Oh, sure. I also noticed when I went into the You Hate Movies back end to see how many subscribers we have in the United <laughs> Kingdom. I'm going in the back end. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I pulled a Bethy. I just uh, that sounded like a really intense euphemism without realizing. Sure. Um, uh, the Hateful Eight versus Django Unchained and Best of Quentin Tarantino are both both in our top ten episodes of all times. Oh my gosh. Really? Now there's a lot of pressure on this episode. Streamed worldwide. Yeah, of oh, yeah. Of okay. all time, all episodes, all locations. Well here you go, fans. Here's that means there's a lot of Tarantino fans out there. There's a lot yeah. Hopefully. Which is really interesting because th- what we learned when we were uh placing our summer box office wager. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a conversation in that episode. <laughs> this is also just a running commercial for all yeah. our other episodes. <laughs> every Be sure to listen to You Hate Movies. I don't know we if you know <laughs> about Christmas time, but... <laughs> we <laughs> says to each other, we says, these Tarantino movies don't make as much money as you think. No, they don't. No, they really don't. Uh, they are are probably profitable based on their you know, relative budgets, sure. but they are not gigantic blockbusters. Right. No, people mm-hmm. do not rush out to the theaters to see them, as many as you think. And yet, here they are in our top ten episodes of all time. So, here's the pressure's on. This, however, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is Tarantino's highest grossing. Yeah. Really? Is it? So good for him. It's yep. over $100 million, Good for him. What is it, like 120 Uh, I don't know. I don't <laughs> know. But I, I have to say that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood has been on the hype train for a long time. They got Pitt, DiCaprio, Robbie doing interviews. And it has gotten circuits. a lot of hype. It seems Luke like a Perry. lot more hype than Hateful Eight, which kind of flew under the radar until it was released. And well, then Tarantino it was like, was well, you can only see it in some places. And yeah. Tarantino yeah. was trying to shut down Hateful Eight. He was like, I'm not going to make it. Just forget it. Yeah, well, because of that leaked script yeah. debacle. But then he created mm-hmm. that roadshow for it. That was pretty cool. Yeah, it was. It was cool. I we went it. saw it. There's a whole episode about it with these exact same people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, saying the exact same thing. So let's not do it again. But, but there was a lot of hype for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Certainly, the Tarantino and his cast did a, probably uh, 50 interviews. You can watch them sitting around <laughs> around. At table. least 50. Doesn't everybody you reckon do 50? I watched this, hey, this just in. Oh, here we it's go. currently at 120 Break, million. Breaking news. Boom. That Domestically was good, Liam. Liam and two forty. Worldwide Dang, on a budget of what ninety? Ooh, oh my uh, god! That's nicely budget. done, Mister Tarantino. But that's a good. That's a that's a that's high for a Tarantino film. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, without further ado, let's uh, 
put our cards on the table, say what we thought in a nutshell, in a tweet-like nutshell, mm-hmm. and then we can argue about it. Right. I have a feeling there's going to be some arguing. Yeah. Patrick, mm-hmm. what did you think about Quentin Tarantino's, what is this, ninth? The ninth film? His ninth. ninth. Are we the counting Kill Bills as He one? counts Kill Bill as one, so yes, we and are. He, the promos did say this was his ninth. Yeah. Yep. Patrick, what did you think about the ninth film from Quentin Tarantino, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? I liked it. <laughs> I'd say three out of five. Not my favorite Tarantino movie. I thought uh, there were moments where I was bored in Ooh. this movie. Oh, but dude. as a whole, I thought it was a good movie. Not a great movie, but a good movie. Yeah. I appreciate it because it's Tarantino. Pass. <laughs> William Gonnison, what did you think about ninth film from Quentin Tarantino once put time in Hollywood? You know, uh, with his, I mean, being that Tarantino's a SoCal kind of kid, and this is known as his, you know, love letter to, you know, Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. In Hollywood, which I would argue Jackie Brown is also in that vein. Um, I, I, I'd give it, you know, Patrick gave it three out of five. I'd give it five out of five. I'd Whoa. saw it a second time. Ooh, Ridiculous. And, uh, yeah, I was, I was very pleased with it. it it's, I mean, it, it's not a traditional Tarantino movie, and it's in that it's linear, and it's, it was very unique. Uh, we'll get into that. I'm past my tweet, but. I was, a, I was a big fan of it. Big fan. Tyler, what did you think about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Night of Tarantino? <laughs> <laughs> I really liked it. Um, but I don't think it was great. You can't see he's cutting his eyes back and forth amongst the group. <laughs> okay. I really liked it. I really liked it, but I think Tarantino made it too hard on the audience to actually like it. Like he's 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 expecting too much of his audiences to fully appreciate the labor of love that this film was. I think he challenged his audience. It was too he challenged them too much. You know, well, not everyone is appreciative uh, as I was. You know, because <laughs> I'm. I'm a, I'm a genuine cinephile. Listen, Mr. Tarantino. <laughs> Listen, Mr. Tarantino. It's everyone else's fault. I was with you. <laughs> I was tracking every step of the way, Tarantino. But the rest of these people, they don't get it. Not like you and I do, Mr. Tarantino. And Liam. <laughs> Matt Hughes. What did you think about it, Tarantino? I thought that it was some of the best performances by actors that I've seen in a long time of some of the most rambling and dull plotless things that I've also seen in a long time. And then the climax was great. He loves a good climax. I love it. Man, finish me off well and I'm yours. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, like Patrick, I was bored at points. And yeah. yeah. Tarantino, in one of these many, many interviews said along the way that he decided not to do a traditional narrative and just do a day in the life. Yeah. Which contributes to its seemingly meanderingness. Well, I understand what he was trying to do. I just don't... Didn't care for it, I just don't think he Mm. did it very well. Right. Josh, what did you think? Oh, I liked it. Uh, I had to watch it in two installments. Uh, You want to hear a funny thing? Because you got so bored, you decided to Yeah, I left, and then I had to come back. Uh, Abby and I went to see it. Uh, the fire alarm went off at around two hours into the movie. So uh, the end of Act Two, fire yeah. alarm went off. A- as Brad Pitt was having a conversation with the Southern General from Hateful Eight. Yeah. Yep. 
Uh, Bruce Dern. The, the yeah, Bruce Dern. The fire alarm went off. We had to leave. I I figured out the timing to go back exactly when I left off the next day and said, "Hey, the fire alarm went off. Can I go in there and watch the end?" And Did they not give you a pass to come back? Yeah, they gave me two passes. Okay, mm. good. they were very generous and then let me go see it without using that. Pass. Whoa! So I went. Thanks, Regal Cinemas. This episode Just is start, not sponsored by Regal. Start Cinemas. pulling fire alarms every time you go. Apparently. Don't so I went in there that. and watched the ending. Uh, it's illegal. The reason <laughs> you hate movies does not condone no, that. Don't break the action. law. The reason I tell this whole story is because uh, the f- when I left that first time, which is never good to leave in the middle, you know, before a movie's over. No. I was like, wow, if that's it, I don't think I like this movie very much. I don't hate it, but I'm certainly not excited about it. Then I went back and watched the end, and I was like, okay. Uh, and I, I don't dislike that it took that long to get to the good parts. It made the rest of the movie pay off more significantly. But, yeah, I was bored, and I thought that um, I think I get it. I could be wrong. I think I get it. I think that it was very evident that he wanted to do a whole, like, man, I really have a boner for L.A. and this time period and all that stuff. Dude loves Sharon Tate. Yeah, and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Um and th- usually that's what makes Tarantino great is his affection for the material on the screen. Yeah. But it felt masturbatory to me. It felt like I'm, um, this is for you and not us. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, no, I agree. Mm. I agree with that too. It felt like he, he made a movie that he know he, he knew he would really love. Yeah, and I don't fault him for that. I think that that's a totally valid approach to filmmaking. I Every think. director does yep. it. Sometimes some it totally lands with a, somebody like Liam, and sometimes it's like, well... You did your thing, man. He, I applaud you for doing your he thing. He has this bit where Liam was talking about uh, how it's kind of a love story for L.A., but he has this uh, this um, anecdote from his childhood where he remembers driving around with his stepfather and remembers seeing the, the perspective looking up at him in the driver's seat and the city lights going by behind him. And he says that's exactly what he did with all the shots of dra- of Brad Pitt driving around the city. It's so nice. It's just he's mm-hmm. he's and he was he was seven or eight, mm-hmm. um, at in 1969 when this movie is set. So it really is just a lot of it is just shot from his perspective as a kid. So let's mm-hmm. let's get a funny half review, because Abby had to leave the theater when I did, but didn't come back to see the last mm. half hour of the film. Right. So give us the first two acts. Your review. Yeah, interesting. I I think I still liked it. I I wasn't ever bored, mm. but I was kind of confused just because I was like, this doesn't seem like a Tarantino movie. But no. I did really really like <clears throat> the acting. I thought specifically Leo's uh, performance was absolutely incredible. I don't yeah, remember. He had a stutter. I don't remember. Yeah, if he have a stutter. He had one. At what port? Part port? At what part? In the film, he has like his big acting moment because I can't even say it without spoiling it. Perhaps maybe you got there. I don't remember how much of his acting in that western did you see? I don't know. Uh, so none. Seems like none. All of it. Well, no, you saw I him saw with the little girl. You saw him with. Yes, yeah, we're going to talk about the Perry whole movie in front of her. On I this know, but episode. All right. Did you see his his? Um, finale on that episode where he was pointing the gun at the little girl and he threw her on the ground yep okay that was good evil hamlet yeah and she said that's some of the best acting i've ever seen i think that she 
her performance was bad, as most kid actors are bad. Oh, I hope she's not listening. Don't let don't let Abby ruin yeah. that for you. She, she kind of ruined for that scene stars. where he was reading the book. I was like, oh, I wish she weren't here. No, I thought she did great because she was precocious and annoying, which is how mm. eight-year-olds are. I guess that's true. Being the father of a nine-year-old girl, they are precocious and annoying. <laughs> <laughs> I hope Olivia's not listening. So. She's definitely not. Is there any other questions? Who do you think uh, is better, Brad Pitt or Leonardo DiCaprio? In this movie or over their whole careers? Whole careers as actors. Leonardo DiCaprio, by a long shot. think so? What? Yep. Really? Yep. All right. Well, you heard it here. That's it from Abby. There tonight. we go. <laughs> All right. Abby's on it of those guys' careers. <laughs> earlier tonight, on that note, uh, a friend of mine was like, uh, hey, I, I want to watch. Do you have any cool science fiction movies? I was like, yeah, I got a lot of movies. Do you want to watch one? He goes, I keep hearing about this movie called 12 Monkeys. Do you have that movie? I was like, I actually yeah. do have that movie. You want to watch it? Uh, he goes, yeah. Is it cool? And I the go, coolest. Yeah, yeah, sure. It's really, it's great. You never seen it? Yeah, let's watch it. He And then I was trying to think of something to, you know, Illicit excitement for Twelve Monkeys, other than his own anticipation. I'm like, uh, it might be the only movie that Brad Pitt acts in. Heard <laughs> uh, after reading, he was great. Uh, in that. A little bit. That. He danced around. He danced yeah, around. He was in I spandex mean, a lot. I like the guy, but usually he's just Brad Pitt in a movie. He's Off like swaggering around, eating chips. If it's but an he's a character movie. in Twelve Monkeys. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio usually plays characters. And this character was particularly yeah. like uh, fascinating. He's interesting. Which apparently afterward, he, they both said that they, he's a undiagnosed bipolar Rick Dalton. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Uh, and I thought, you know, watching Wait, that's his written into the character? Yeah, they designed the character okay, with that in mind. Okay, as an undiagnosed bipolar. Emotionally unbalanced. Oh, okay. His meltdown in the trailer was freaking hilarious to oh, me. This mm-hmm. like it when was he's great. Because at first he's just, go- <laughs> he's mocking his own stutter. Yeah. And then when he starts to threaten his reflection. <laughs> it's really I, was la- I started yeah. laughing out loud. And that was things. very oh, funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we were talking about this. Like, DiCaprio, who is not naturally funny at all, but the writing and the direction in his performance convinces the audience that he's he's acting very funny. Like when he's like drinking the margarita after threatening those hippies and the yeah yeah and the roadway was hysterical. He was. Was. It was really funny with his like, gut hanging out of his bathrobe. His delivery was great at the at the end. Sorry, Abby. Yeah. When he's I told uh, her all about that. Okay. When he finally gets to go and meet Sharon Tate and hang uh-huh. out with him, and he's so happy about oh. it. Yeah. He's like a it was awesome. Kid. I was laughing. Yeah. Yeah. It was a great night after all. Yeah. yeah. The backpack uh, still works, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah. The ending of the film is actually really sensitive and Very emotional. charming. Yeah. I think, that, I think that this movie might be Tarantino's most uh, sensitive and emotional film that he's ever made. What are you talking about? Because a lot of people are super happy. Yeah, there are people who are think it's his most offensive and heinous film that he's ever made. Because of what they do to the hippies? Because of what they do to the hippies, specifically that two of them are girls, for how mean he was about Bruce Lee, and how, oh, the Bruce Lee like, thing. the fact that... Yeah, the Bruce Lee stuff got everyone really well, upset. Yeah. Uh, and the and Bruce Lee scene was great. But people are also mad about the fact that Sharon Tate didn't die because they're saying that he, like, disrespected her memory and, like, lessened the terrible events because he changed it. I'm like, yo, it's pretend. <laughs> you understand that movies are pretend. Yeah. It's made up. I uh, That's exactly why I think it's m- one of Tarantino's more sensitive films is because uh, Django and Inglorious Bastards are revenge films where he's he's getting revenge against the terrible things the Nazis did or he's getting revenge against slave owners uh-huh. and slavery in general. 
And in those films, they don't change history to the fact Hitler is still ordering an army to kill Jews. And s- slaves are still suffering in the hands of their white owners. Right. But in this one, he actually, he actually completely eliminates the violent acts in history. They yeah, but I feel, I feel like it was no, a revenge film because <laughs> you know, the murderers film. get destroyed no, in I the totally most violent way. But I'm saying, I'm saying yeah. he changed history. Well, in, these, in these other films, like history be. still plays out, but he changes the very end. In this film, he removes the murders completely. But the Tate murders yeah. weren't the only Manson murders. They were... No, they killed another couple after them. Yes, yeah, so there, there's still an option here. Manson's still in here. He's we just saw him that one time. Sure. He's still in play. He sure, he but... Could, he could then take revenge and do more murders in this fake universe. Right. The Mansons did go kill um, <laughs> the, Mansons. The, Mansons. the Manson family. Yeah. Did go kill a couple grocery store owners after that, right. like the next day or something. But what did y'all think about uh, Charles Manson's cameo in this movie? He had a couple appearances. Just, it was all right. Just like a line or so, yeah. It was very, was very just brief. Kind of poking like, around yo, the car. Ter- uh-huh. Terry it was lived enough. here. It was enough just for people to raise their eyebrows. I thought it yeah. was all right. Well, I liked that it wasn't anything more than that. You're like, well... I kind of like that, be some more? Like, there's wait like, a minute. Oh, you, there, there's this tension. It's almost just to remind you of his ominous presence. I think that it was necessary story. for exposition for people to kind of understand what was going on. Now, uh-huh. on another but listen, note. Hold on. Let me oh finish my... God, my okay. Oh, God. Here we go. Listen. <laughs> I didn't even, didn't even get a chance <laughs> okay, to finish okay. it. Okay. No, you're fine. <laughs> this but this is going to be in our top ten. <laughs> this, the, in this film, he removes... The historical events entirely. They don't happen. Sharon Tate is alive at the end of this movie. Yes. Yep. Yeah. You're right. That's crazy. He totally mm-hmm. changed it. But yep. it, it, to me, it played out like he ha- it had like this sensitive, emotional, almost like like uh, traumatic experience about her death at all. Like he wanted, in the film, it felt like he was trying to save her from this yeah, He's imagining yeah. a world where that yeah. didn't happen to I her. He created a world I where she worked. doesn't die horrendously mm-hmm. and she gets to live on in our imaginations now, or at least in his film now, yeah. in a way that she didn't get the chance to before. And even the whole time period, because people say that the Manson murders like ended the 60s. Like That was the end right. of like the, the death free of the love. Like, well, yeah, the exactly. summer of love, I mean, yeah, it was over. Right, it was done with the yeah. Manson murders. <laughs> yeah. That'll do it. That'll, yeah, the, that'll do it. And so it's like he's... That yeah, this time he's that he's so it. clearly enamored with, he's trying to yeah. save and stop the thing that ended that mm-hmm. like moment of his childhood. Yeah, the '69 no. was a turning point in film history, as it was. We it was the same year we had True Grit and Easy Rider, which are both very different Dennis Hopper films, and like a mark a mark for the change in direction for movie making. But but this is like. This this is the the Sharon Tate murders are like the 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 hinge for this in my opinion where he he's like he's like showing a side of sensitivity and like honor to her memory yeah because in that scene where you hear her voice over the intercom at the end of the driveway she's and she Tar- sounded lovely yeah and like Absolutely it's like all it's like you adorable. hear her voice and you're like oh my god she's still alive mm-hmm. and DiCaprio like treads lightly and politely toward the intercom. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like it's like stolen time with them now yeah. that Tarantino has, and it's has a, given them a place to live on. I enjoyed the fact that he made that comment 
Oh, it's going to take like a pool party. I could, you know, one pool party oh, away from on. hanging out. Yeah. And then it's because he yeah. killed that girl in the pool. Right. I was like, that's nice. Now like, did, that was now a twisted pool party. So now he got invited up to Roman Polanski's yeah, house. Now his career is going to uh-huh. take off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But even throughout the the length of the film, when we're following Margot Robbie around in A Day in the Life, she hardly has any lines. No, but it's all like people loving her movie and her just enjoying life. She's on the verge of like becoming the next big actress in Hollywood. And a mom, Mm -hmm. huh? And a mom, and a a mom. Yes, even more. She was very pregnant at the time, so she certainly didn't deserve to die brutally at the hands of the Manson family. I don't know if anybody did deserve it, but (laughs) we don't know them all. She had a lot to live for, certainly at that point in her life. But even like the way it ends where you see her come out of the house, but you don't even get to see her face. You're just seeing over her shoulder. Mm-hmm. It's like it's it feels very sensitive on Tarantino's part yeah. to her memory. Yeah. Yeah. But in his defense, <laughs> I'm, it, why does it need to be? I'm saying this no, is all I'm good. Defi- yeah. No, I know. I know. But I'm saying like in his defense, lest it be colored as a movie that's very happy go lucky. I wouldn't call it that. Yeah. Either. The the. The big climax that was so satisfying to Matt. So satisfying. The (laughs) the satisfying (laughs) climax for him. Mm -hmm. Is, I I like the word you used, Tyler, as a twisted pool party because, yes. No, I said that, not Tyler. Matt Matt said that. Don't credit that. Tyler had this great thing. I don't know if you heard (laughs) about a twisted pool party. (laughs) Get out of here. Yeah, I think there was like, there is a kind of irreverent, macabre, like they're making... The, the, I mean, the violent, the only violent scene in the movie is absolutely horrifying. It's so yeah. over the top. Mm-hmm. And it, I As think you'd ha- expect from Tarantino. Yeah, but it's like Actually, a lot of Tarantino's. It felt, it felt more, it felt like more than usual from Tarantino. I know. Well, but well, also, also in the just juxtaposition, like it's such a calm movie throughout. Yeah. And then you get, boom, this. Which so it makes just feels it, much it more pays of an out a lot. It in terms of like violent spectacle, it pays out harder or more intensely because you've been kind of relaxed in your seat for a lot of the mm-hmm. movie. Uh-huh. And maybe the only one I can think that kind of compares is the third act uh, or the the final 20 minutes of Hateful Eight, which go- ramps up to like, I mean, mm-hmm. there's a few, you know, like the Kurt Russell's character. Yeah, there's just like heads are exploding and mm-hmm. people's balls are being blown. I mean, it, just, <laughs> it escalates to a degree that's just like, holy crap. Bloodbath. And to watch Brad Pitt like hold a small woman by the back of her head and absolutely pummel her face into, into concrete until it's like tapioca. It's into just the like, wall. Holy crap. The into phone. the bricks. Mm-hmm. Into the phone. Yeah. Yeah. And that yeah. pit bull that's mm-hmm. just, they keep cutting back to this pit bull that's just eviscerating this other woman yeah. mm-hmm. because of his little thing that he mm-hmm. does. Yep. Uh, and then, they, but then they're making, he's making it into like it's almost comedic even though it's like hard to watch because then you're cutting to these comedic scenes of Leo like with his headphones on and the mm-hmm. Rick Dalton doesn't even realize anything's happening. He uses mm-hmm. the freaking blowtorch from that one movie. <laughs> yeah. So we're laughing. We're it. like still yeah. laughing while this is going on. Mm-hmm. He has this way of like putting the audience in like a uh, complicit situations where you're like, ha ha ha, look at yeah. these people People dying. are mad at that yeah. too. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I think is sure. some of the... the admirable qualities of him as a filmmaker he likes ambiguity he likes more moral ambiguity mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he clearly has like uh 
moral statements he makes in movies where he's like revenge movies against slave owners, revenge movies against Nazis, where yeah. we can all go, yeah, they suck, and they do. Yeah, they do. But then he put constantly puts the viewer in morally compromising situations, be like, yeah, smash that girl's, f-, you know what I mean? Like, it, <laughs> right. what they were gonna do? Yeah, well, yeah. That that actually, I I agree with you, and I think it's to my point, a credit to my point that. The violence against <laughs> of course oh you is. do <laughs> the violence, what a surprise the violence against these these cult members is so extreme, and I it felt it felt like Tarantino was it was like an outlet for his anger toward them. He's like getting it, he's finally getting justice he, on yeah, what happened it, in his childhood. It, it felt like America's was, childhood, right? Yeah, it was an overcompensation of justice against them that they deserved. To die just as brutally as Sharon Tate's and her house. Yeah, that's a recurring motif yeah, in a but lot of his work. The way it played out, it felt like this violence against them is so angry, and the and the the emotional like uh, climax with with emotional climax. That's the emotional day. The, the the looking for synonyms. That like reverence and honor that he gave to Sharon Tate at the end. The contrast between those two moments in the third act felt so high that it really felt like it was very personal to him yeah it was almost like you know it made me think of that shot uh the back and the cut back and forth in inglorious bastards when he has eli roth uh you know a jewish man standing over adolf hitler's at this point corpse he's already been Mm, absolutely blasted and he's just steady firing this automatic (laughs) weapon until hitler's face we just watch like explode Yep. as it's being fired away and you see this look of just like absolute hatred on yeah. Eli Roth's face but justifiable yeah, yeah and then you're, yeah. you're like oh it's it's, cl- it's clear yeah what, no. what he's e- going for even us watching them scalp Nazis or or even the little missile noises of bullets hit slave owners and giant explosions of blood <laughs> come out of their bodies ridiculous N- none yeah. of those moments as violent as they were felt as extreme as these hippies being Mauled by a dog. Yeah, man, those hippies didn't. They really got it. When she got hit in the face with that dog food. Yeah, that was the can. That yeah. heavy yeah. can. Yeah. They like <clears throat> set her jaw back. It split open her face. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah that was, that's a rough way to go. Tarantino yeah, really do. made them pay. Yeah. <laughs> well, he did, and they're so feeling it even the, now. The <laughs> <laughs> so I, all, I was surprised. Saying, all that to say, I, it felt deeply personal to him. It did, you know, like you saw the footage. What you talking about? All the interviews and the hype for it. There was all these things at the festivals of the long standing ovations he got. You remember how awkward mm, those yeah. were? But it was kind of like now when I watch it, I was like, I get it because it's like those festivals are Hollywood, mm-hmm. and, and they, they're like, right. they're, oh, it's their they're world. very familiar with all right. of the backstory. These yeah. bad guys like attacked us and now we get to see the revenge of it yeah. deeply personal for that's true because it was an attack on Hollywood as like a their family sect almost of that's people. my question coming out of the movie is like I would actually love Abby's if we can get her yeah let's see what happens my, my question is of all the people that went and saw this how well do you know the Manson family cult being from Southern California the history not, not well what do you know about the manson family cult um i know that he was trying to stage it to look like the black panthers did it he's trying to start a race war yeah um i know that he didn't do the killing mostly yep. no he no he didn't, he no, didn't touch he did anybody. zero killing um he brainwashed the i know that followers. he killed an actress or that they killed an actress yeah Sharon Tate. yep and that's that's it 
All right. That's more than than a lot of people know. What happened in that house after that, Josh said, not into a microphone? Um, Nana Schnell's recorded an album. Oh, there she knows that history. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, and the, here's, here's the other. Wait, how much did you know before the movie came out? The Polanski Tate home was bought by... by um, you say Trent Reznor. Trent Who? Reznor. By, bought by Trent Reznor. Yeah. And they recorded an album there. Which, Which album? But he claims... Oh, that makes oh, sense. He claims he didn't know it was their house. So oh, a lot about Trent. In that house. But since then, it's been torn down and it's no yeah. longer... Abby, really how much of this story did you know before the movie? Before all the hype of the movie? Most of it. I had so a friend that was obsessed with it. There's only... There's only one... Um, there's only one extra like piece of like current media that has unknowingly exposed people to the Manson family cult. Did you ever read the novel, The Girls? No. You did though, right, Josh? I did. You read it? Well, there were yeah. a bunch of Apparently novels. Apparently yeah. that was stolen directly from the Manson family cult. So when I went and saw it, I was, th- I was so thankful coming out of the movie having, having known the history of Oh yeah! Family if I hadn't known about it's enormously important to the because you the wouldn't story. understand that he changed history unless you knew that Sharon Tate was killed by right. the Manson family. Right. You but wouldn't get the, any of that emotion at the end. Right. You just think it was a Tarantino movie where, you yeah, know, Brad Pitt gets high on an acid cigarette and wails <laughs> on two teenage girls. Yeah. So I feel like and a dude Tarantino he created he, he threw out a traditional narrative. He he did not make a movie with plot. He decided to make a film that was just a day in the life, following around these these Hollywood uh, employees, two actors and a stunt guy, mm-hmm. and um, and he put way too much emphasis, or at least credit, to the audience to understand how history was meant to play out. Yeah, so we're watching Sharon Tate go go on at about a day in the life, and everyone's wondering why in the world are we following around this woman. And all of the tension vanishes unless you know right. what her fate is supposed to be. Yeah, it would be. seem like an unfinished plot line. Like, well, yeah. why do we care about her? Right. Why do Ju- we care about just her? Just because she's Roman Polanski's wife? Like, yeah. why does that matter? The day in the life thing is totally worthless without the, the knowledge that she's supposed to die at the end of this. Well, yeah. maybe. But that's what I like about it is that, I mean, going back to the this one of being the rare linear Tarantino movies is that it's like, not this linear. is basically a... a, a a compendium of vignettes like of which I mean you have all these relationships in which you know or characters I should say that you could have taken out DiCaprio and the little actress you could have like removed it and it would have had no bearing on this climax if we think the climax is the focus of the movie but it is just a bunch of just like well no, it's just the most action-packed. You could have taken that out. No, everything's building. No, to everything's that building to no. that com- that meeting between Rick Dalton and Sharon Tate. That's the whole Look, point of the whole he movie. He loves no. the movie. He knows. Yeah, he's no, loving it think, wrong right now. No, let's argue. No, I think I think you could have like taken it out and know that like even if they those the hippies never came up, you would have known that they were at Spawn Ranch. You would have known that no. there were these hippies out there. Like you know, because you've you read the girls or Helter Skelter or whatever, girls, but, but I you know, know the history of the right. Yeah, I mean, the, you know of that. So the kind of the neat thing is, you know of the Manson family, but again, yeah. this is Tarantino's history right here. He could have not even put this violent thing in it, which is just Tarantino him. Well, I got to do something violent in a rated R movie, so he does it. But, but I honestly think you could have taken out a lot of these little pieces here, and it just would have been. No, this is just a day in the life of Hollywood. Like, 
just like Luke Perry, uh, all these little pieces here is just, just kind of a cool, calm. Because the whole time you're wondering, wait, where are we even going with this? Well, th- at that point, then it's just a film about Rick Dalton improving his career. Or yeah, being a husband. I mean, exactly. Is that right. where this is going? Is this? Why are you talking like this is the only linear? One, this movie isn't linear. Two, Hate Flight is a straight three act play. I said, well, I didn't say it was the only. I said it's one of the Django is linear. Few. Django's, and, the, and this is one isn't. This one no, jumped back Glorious in time. Glorious pumps reg- So did this. The Bruce Lee stuff was a flashback. All the stuff at the beginning about the TV show was a flashback. Like, that was all in, like, 67. Mm, yeah, this isn't linear. We compress this is a several months or a year or something like that. And then go yeah. back up to two years. Like, the stuff with Kurt Russell firing... Yeah, that's a flashback. Cliff, that's a uh, massive that's flashback. True. Everything takes uh, place in... Because Green Hornet yeah. was only on for one Touché, year in 66. Yeah. It takes but place. That's, yeah, it's yeah. not mixed up like Kill Bill is. I feel it's not mixed up like... T- uh, but Pulp you know, Fiction. Uh, now Pulp you fiction take it down, is? take it down a notch. Oh. Four out of five. It's not as jumbled as other ones, right? but it's not is linear. It still like five stars. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right, absolutely. Liam. Okay, here's the thing, though. You go and see a Quentin Tarantino movie. You right or wrong, you expect a few landmark Quentin sure. Tarantino. Things, there are right? tropes he has developed. And you go because you like those things. Yes. Like you expect, like fascinating dialogue, sustained scenes of fascinating dialogue where there's master shots where all the players are in one frame and they just talk about something. And you want like, the opening Ooh. scene from Res- Reservoir Dogs again. Yep, or the exchange between the French dairy farmer and sure. the sure. Jew or hunter. John Travolta in a car with Samuel Jackson or at a diner with Uma Thurman. Any of these examples yeah. are fine examples. Uh, there's one. You expect to see B-movie tropes elevated to uh, find the fine craftsmanship of impeccable filmmaking. Mm-hmm. You expect to sure. see lavish attention to uh, relics of movie dumb. Sure, sure. You know, there, there were those. Yeah, all these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but here's what I don't usually expect to see in Tarantino movies, and threw me off a bit. Uh, and here, let's argue about this. Mm-hmm. I thought, honestly, to speak to what you guys are saying about, oh, it was day in the life a thing, and that Liam said it well when he's like, oh, you're kind of just like, where are we going with this? I felt honestly that yes, you could argue that there's a lot of atten- there's enough attention focused on, you know, where Sharon Tate is and what she's doing for us to feel like, well, certain she's going to factor in this, and we're dovetailing into this moment where. Rick Dalton's life is going to inter- finally intersect with Sharon Tate's right. life in some meaningful sense. But there were entire scenes and set pieces that, to me, had no bearing on the movie whatsoever. And not only that, but that were stupid. Like, the whole Playboy Mansion set piece could be lifted out of the movie. It, it added nothing. It slowed everything down. And it was anachronistic because the Playboy Mansion didn't exist in 1969. Well, yeah, I mean, but he can... Uh, this sure, he can change history or whatever, but he changed history for a pointless set piece. Just to have these guys, like, tell us something about Roman Polanski and Sharon Tate's relationship that... Right, with Jay. ...has yeah. no bearing on the movie whatsoever. And you're just like, oh, I guess. And then it's all there were lots of, like, these long, drawn-out montages of driving and neon lights coming on. Some of them are fine, like the... The mo- the scene or the uh, sequence of all the lo- neons lighting up in L.A. I liked that. That was, that cool. was like a, a mm-hmm. mood setter. Yeah, sure. Other sequences felt more the like the western. Sh- that was an episode of a show, right? That Rick Dalton was filming with that girl. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, this really feels like 
like, Lancer. Yeah. Show Lancer. Uh, solid yeah. Tarantino-esque stuff. Other scenes, there's just like you're driving around that the whole... I realized while we're having the ongoing thing with Al Pacino so that we can get to the point where he becomes an authentic spaghetti western actor for a yeah, season of his life Italy to come right back. Yeah. To leave, yeah. But it just it started to feel a bit like, man, this contributes little to nothing. And that's when I started to feel like I'm kind of bored with yep. some of this. And then when the... I read this thing afterward where he was talking about how he still feels like he might come back to horror and make his 10th film a straight-up horror movie. Mm-hmm. And only because he said that when he was going back and forth with his editor and his editor was saying that the she was working on the Spawn Ranch sequence and she was like, uh, this is a straight up horror. The Spawn Ranch sequence is Texas Chainsaw. Yeah, for and, sure. And Tarantino was like, that's the highest compliment you can give a filmmaker that like it's like Texas Chainsaw. And he's like, and I was like, if I can do that, maybe I could do hard because, you know, famously his one horror movie he wasn't happy with. Neither was the world. Um that was when I was like, man, I'm really into this. The Spawn Ranch sequence was really fascinating. Death Proof. Death Proof. Yeah, right. this is hard. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? Right, Death Proof. Yeah, but the Spawn Ranch was fantastic. It, it was. Never, it never really got like crazy exciting, which you thought it was going to be. It was almost anticlimactic. Uh, I thought it was great, but I, I contribute that a lot to having knowledge of the Manson family before oh going in. Oh, my gosh, you're so smart. We get it. I'm just <laughs> saying that <laughs> you no, put way too much emphasis on people knowing the details. Well, no, like I the, think the, I think that you could, without knowing about the Manson family, you could understand you could as soon as he arrived... And there's like people looking out the there's house. A cult. There's a cult. there's something weird there's there. Weird Even here. if you didn't know it was the Manson family, it's culty weird, bro. Exactly. You could understand this is something is up. And then when there's that, no, you can't see George or whatever. I expected George to be dead and them to jump cliff. That's sure. what I I was no, like. Oh, George is George is gonna be rotting in the back room, and then they're all gonna come in and Cliff's gonna die. No, because I knew. When he did go in, he would find an old man that's been tended to by young women who's totally happy and content. Because of the, because you know because about the Manson family. Because that's how it played out. Well, look yeah. in that in that instance, my ignorance made the movie better. I yeah. think it, you could make an argument that it would it, that it would be. I mean, I I I read the Helter wait, Skelter wait, book. What's your argument? I think that you, it could be better if you knew no. less, and that it would completely. I think if flow. I think if all you knew was the Manson family existed. They killed Sharon Tate. You could have a phenomenal you, time. I don't think you, you don't think you need to know that, that Sharon Tate dies. Because I think you do they, so that you understand why you're following her around. I think but the, the hippies the, show up and say that they're yeah. going up to Cielo Drive and they're like, "Oh, you heard Cielo what Charlie said? I mean, What's that? Well, no. What's Cielo We've Drive? We've seen the. We don't know what Cielo yes, Drive. Yes, we have. We saw the sign. What's the importance of Cielo Drive? We've Josh. seen the sign they in the movie. But also, I know they show the sign. The fact that so we know what it is. Even if you know, we don't know what happens there. Even if you know. Something the hippies pull happen. up. They yeah. say, Charlie said, go up there and kill everyone inside. That's at all the you end need to of the yeah, movie. That but is they're showing need. the Cielo Drive sign at the very beginning. So that when they say, when they pull up and you see it again and they say, go in it's there and kill everyone. It's foreshadowing. Yes, it's a narrative it's a device. Simple <laughs> foreshadowing. It is a narrative I think that device. It's yeah. also a subtle homage to the actual events. Because well, Cielo, Drive, it is. Cielo Drive became a notorious location in LA after that I think that there if you have and you know it's almost like if you read a mount a crap ton of comic books and you go watch the movie and exactly. then you're like neat I knew this and neat yes. I saw that I knew that that guy was going to be that but, but I you don't credit Marvel that. for making movies that you don't need to read the comics to appreciate I say once upon a time in Hollywood is 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 not doing that so well. did anyone know absolutely nothing about 
Manson Helter Skelter stuff before they saw the movie. We need someone on, on the show to come. A friend of mine yeah. went and saw it, and she was actually a screenwriter student, and she appreciated the homage to the non-linear, non-narrative storyline because it it it's it's very much how movies back in '69 started to become. Certainly, like Easy Rider is very similar to that. But she had zero knowledge of the Tarantino, I mean, the, the Sharon Tate death. How and is that she, even possible? I know. She, she was a film is student she like 20 who appreciated all of the other subtleties of the film and homage. But didn't but get the didn't end know the twist. Tarantino, uh, didn't, God, why do you keep doing it? Didn't know the Tate story and had to like read up about it afterward and then came to I'm appreciate sure the movie. I'm sure there has to be lots of people. I mean, I have conversations with people all the time when the freaking Ted Bundy movies were hit but on Netflix that are like, yeah. who's Ted Bundy? But my point That's is weird. that she liked it less because of that. All of the tension that is supposed to exist falling around Tate wasn't there in her viewing, and therefore it well, made Well, all the, the tension less. falling around Tate wasn't there for me in the viewing mm-hmm. either because I was bored. If I'm honest, I land yeah. in the middle, and this is what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I agree with Tyler that if you don't know that Sharon Tate is going to get murdered in the real story it takes away from the point i would be like why are we following her around and it feel like an unended plot device yes but i do not think you need to know all the details you, agreed no i saying. don't either but you're not going to like it as much the I, only uh, thing that i thought was effective in terms of like uh-oh i felt like ooh, something encroaching dread was after the spaghetti western montage catch up thing and you know Kurt Russell saying then he did this and then they came back and then we go back to Sharon Tate so you're like oh god this is going to be boring Sharon Tate doing nothing and she's going into her house pregnant at this point and knowing that she was killed when she was very pregnant I'm like oh okay crap yeah this is going to be hard to watch mm-hmm. yeah but yeah but even still like if I can defend just the whole Sharon Tate because I mean even at that I could see how it'd be boring but I, f- I thought she was despite her limited lines and I mean we'll call it a people are mad about that too I know I've, I thought it was, thought it was absolutely delightful yeah. I thought it was fun walking her watching her walk around giving people rides uh, going to watch her own movie she puts on the big you know, googly glasses. What she's was excited. so great about that is he played the actual film with Tate. Yes, as she's the watching. actor. Yeah. Right, he didn't deep fake it with Robbie like he that did in The Great Escape. Things, he like huh? deep faked well, in Leo. Right, but that was mm-hmm. one of the things he didn't want to change about history. He wanted Tate to have her moment on mm-hmm. screen yeah. to be appreciated for her performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. It was Robbie real long. That part was boring to me he, too. Yeah, I didn't like to see as much of that movie to get it. I'm like, I got it. Tarantino has such a deep affection for Tate. It was obvious. Yeah, it's obvious. Yeah. You know what's another staple uh, trope for Tarantino that I appreciate is his uh, ability to create incredible characters, deep characters. And this one had great characters. Yeah. You want to yeah. watch these guys. You think Cliff did it? Doing. You think Some Cliff killed his wife? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure he did. He <laughs> that was funny. Killed, that was freaking funny. He killed her. <laughs> I think Brett, you know, Brad Pitt is great. He's great in the Tarantino movies he's in. Oh. He doesn't really do much Dude. acting. He just kind of walks does around. that good accent and inglorious. He makes this face like he's always just squinting at something. Uh-huh. It's a smolder. Yeah. And then he fought Bruce Lee. I thought the guy playing Bruce Lee was. I've only ever seen like I don't know five minutes of actual footage of Bruce Lee being interviewed, but it was enough. It made enough of an impression in my mind because I've seen like Enter the Dragon. Or yeah, sure. That uh, 
when the guy started talking, I was I just in my head was cracking up, being like, "Oh, it sounds exactly like." Yeah, he did a good job. Sounded good. Yeah. This guy, yeah. That apparently that scene was very controversial. Oh, his yeah. Bruce Lee's people, daughter was people mad. were upset because they keep saying Bruce Lee wasn't that arrogant. Uh, but even the actors, when they showed up, uh, the scene was supposed to end with Brad Pitt beating him in that fight, and Brad Pitt was like, "This is Bruce Lee we're talking about here. I can't beat him. He's a, he's a legend. He has to. We have to like." be interrupted or something yeah, yeah. well even end with me standing over bruce lee but i think that that fight because it was a flashback and it's what it's when cliff's like fixing the tv antenna or something he's thinking yeah. about it i think that it was fantastical because you can't throw someone into a car and make that big a dent without them happen, dying no but i think it was it's in cliff's imagination i think he's rem- like has this like nostalgic memory that isn't exactly true to life Maybe. when he's thinking about it i'm taking huh. it i'm taking it as literal but i thought it was just necessary and that is a back. crappy car <laughs> i think I it was, was just backstory for the sake of uh his fight with the hippies it's just proving that he well yeah because that, yeah and then because he's, he's that the, he is violent bruce yeah, lee's violent. the heavy mm-hmm. he's yeah he's violent but he's also capable of engaging in a fight legitimately and well yeah because yeah. remember all that stuff that al pacino says to Leo, when they're having that drink the first time, he's like, oh, you're going to be in all these shows, and the whole point is you're going to come in, be the heavy, get beat up, and then everyone's going to like the hero more. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what Tarantino did for us with Cliff. Bruce Lee's the heavy. We feel more affection towards Cliff, so we're more disposed to be on his side at the end when he beats up the hippies. And the Mm -hmm. ending is actually done really well with that that relational dynamic, too, where DiCaprio's the one getting the FaceTime, starting the fights, and then he lets... He lets Pitt come in and finish the fight. So he's out there in the street yelling at the hippies, calling him Dennis Hopper. No one gets that joke. I got it. I, I got, got it. it. I got it. Anyone else? We no, all got it. I, I got don't even it. remember it being said, to be honest with you. He, he comes out and he calls the long-haired hippie behind the wheel, Dennis Hopper. Because, Tex. Because Dennis Hopper had long hair and Easy Rider. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a so, mustache. And a mustache. And so he comes out and he picks a fight with these guys and they come back to fight him and he lets his, his stunt devil do the work. It's great. Mm, it's a great it's ending. Mm. Yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> Dismissed. I read this interview where they were, you know, Tarantino was defending himself against the estate of Bruce Lee, and they were like, "You really think that this guy could beat up Bruce Lee?" And he was like, "Well, I mean, I don't think Brad Pitt can, but he's like, you're after asking me if Cliff Booth can do it. That's like saying, can Dracula beat Bruce Lee? Sure, yeah, he can. <laughs> sure." It's not a real just person. Just talking about him versus a made-up person. Yeah. yeah. Then, yeah, he can. I made him up, so the rules are, <laughs> yes, he can. Yeah. But Because people forget, this is pretend. <laughs> people get real upset about stuff that is pretend. Yeah. It yeah. didn't really happen. None of yeah. this really happened. <laughs> well, not uh Some of it did, and unless you know every detail, <laughs> you don't even have any business being in that theater system. Yeah, you better yeah. just well, can I ask go read th- a book. I mean, also, a big character of Tarantino movies is the soundtrack and the cinematography. What would you guys think? I don't know. I, I actually don't really, you know, like, I don't think you have to have been alive in an era to feel nostalgia for it. You know, you watch a Agreed. movie like uh, Sandlot. Hey, Sandlot we did an episode about that. My Girl or, yeah. you know. Stand I, By Me. Even Super 8. Like, I wasn't a kid in those eras, but I feel like, oh, man, I want right. to go back to that time, even though I wasn't there. For some reason, I don't really have the same. I don't feel anything right. for the era he was romanticizing. Late 60s, it was Los 19, Angeles. 1969. Yeah. Yeah, I don't feel like the the whole, like, 
vintage heyday Hollywood giant cars. Well, the world was going through a transition then. So I don't dislike kind of it, but I don't feel any cool. Woodstock. Stuff for it. Woodstock happened the month after the Tate murders. Yeah, apparently people came to that. Mm-hmm. Couple is a weird time in American culture. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, and then Altamont was right after that, which the, was the who? Altamont was the West Coast's Woodstock, where the Rolling Stones were heading the the Woodstock of the West Coast called Altamont, and they hired the Hell's Angels to be security. Oh yeah. Oh And they right, beat I the heck out of tons of people. Right. Like, they got a lot of like, hands. Oh, it's chaos. Whoops. Were you there, Liam? No, I uh, I read stuff on it oh, like okay. Tyler did. <laughs> I didn't know read some stuff the Hell's Angels at that time. You know, like the the music and the cinematography you're talking about and and the dialogue we're all mentioning. All those Tarantino things were in it for me. So I, I appreciated that it was there. It's kind of like what we were saying with Annihilation. It's like, it's not my favorite thing, but I'm glad it exists. It's, it's mm. kind of fun to watch. I'm glad he got to make it. It seems like he had a good time making this movie. Yes. Oh, yeah. He made a movie about the people he cared about during the time. That yeah, so it's good him. to be in the catalog. Mm-hmm. There's still like, to me, the more awesome movies are still there. And I'm excited to see yeah. the 10th one. There's, there's a, a big um, commentary about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and its, its reference to violence in films as well. Uh, Bonnie and Clyde was kind of a big... F- Oh, sure. Landmark film in Hollywood because it yeah. actually showed people being violently killed. Right. And that was like... Tommy guns, That hadn't yeah. been done Blood. yet. Yeah. yeah. It hadn't been done yet in Hollywood. Uh-huh. So if this film also feels like a commentary for Tarantino, who is notoriously violent in all of his films, uh, acknowledging the time and place where violence became normalized in film. So it also feels personal to him because he's like, he's, he's given big ups as you would. Yeah, good for you, the, man. Uh, you did the, it. The people that pioneered violence in film so he could do the same thing later in life. Mm. Big ups to Nine Inch Nails, Downward Spiral, and then Sharon Tate Murder House. Big ups to Cliff, beating up Bruce Lee. Yeah, uh, you should be more careful. But how come he feeds his dog like that? Do people feed their dogs like that? Where they like drop a sludge can and then pour <laughs> some crumbs those. all over but it Tarantino, and then drop another sludge Tarantino can? always has to have a close-up of food in his movies. Yeah, <laughs> cans in the cupboard, right? Yeah. Or glasses. Or, yeah, the, it was a close-up of beer in, in Django. It's a different uh-huh. time, y'all. You don't know what dogs had to go through to get to where they're at now. <laughs> yeah. Hey. Did one of you guys see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood with absolutely no knowledge of the Charles Manson family murders? If so, please leave a comment on this episode and explain to us your experience and whether you feel it was affected or not so much by your knowledge or lack thereof. And address it care of Tyler Hans.